Babies don't come with a manual. But today, there are thousands of books and experts to help guide you when you have a challenge. The problem is, where do you start? This is Helpline in Focus, where we look at single issues that come up time and again in our regular Helpline series. Today, we're talking about speech development with speech pathologist, Sonia Bestulik. Hi, Sonia. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I always laugh because we've spoken before and goodness me, how many times did I try to say your name right? (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure if I completely butchered it then. How do you pronounce your last name, Sonia? Bestulik. Bestelich. And can I just say, it's a little bit ironic, maybe, that you're a speech pathologist and it's hard <laughs> to say your last name, but, you know, maybe that's just me. Um, listen, um, there are some definite milestones for speech, um, like I guess there are for gross motor skills when it comes to development in children. What would those milestones be? So just generally speaking, and I think milestones are a beautiful guide for us, if you like, but I guess communication starts from birth. So those early few months, uh, you know, babies are crying, they're to communicate their pleasure and pain. And then that then extends to them cooing and using lots of vowel sounds. And as they get closer to the one year mark, uh, that's where a lot of a few other sounds are heard and there's some babbling. Um, And so typically around the one year mark um, or or 12 to 18 months, um, children often will have their first words. Um, And so when we're talking about communication development, here I'm talking about language and using language to express themselves. So usually first words happen around then, but the other side of language is the ability to understand what someone is telling you and comprehend it. Um, And so by that age, um, children often understanding, you know, simple directions and instructions. And as they get older to the you know, heading toward that two-year-old mark, they're able to put together more words, so two, three-word phrases and short sentences, and they're understanding a few more questions. And then as they get to three, those sentences get a bit longer and they're understanding more complex directions. So that's kind of the broad um, milestones with language. In terms of speech, Siobhan, speech is is very much how clearly um, someone articulates their sounds. Um, And in terms of clarity, that also improves as a child gets gets older. So again, broadly speaking, at about one year of age, a third person, so someone that's not with the child all the time, can usually understand a child's uh, about, you know, 25 to 50% of the time. And then at two years, it's half or 50% to 75. And when a child is three years old, uh, they're typically able to be understood um, about 75 to 100% of the time. So, and then by four, they're understood 100% of the time. So they're kind of some some guides to really guide the accuracy of their, their speech sounds as well as their language development. And in terms of red flags, obviously um, that's quite a complex question because it will depend on each child. But if a parent is worried about where their child is at, do they go immediately to a speech pathologist or a speech therapist? I mean, what is the first step if you think, oh, great, they're four and nobody understands them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, people will take different pathways, of course. Um, In terms of being concerned, you don't necessarily need a GP referral. Some people will chat to their GP and say, hey, this is what's happening, just to kind of get a second uh, opinion and thought. Um, But a GP referral is not necessary. You can call a speech pathologist and just say, hey, this is what I'm worried about. Um, You know, do do I need to come in or not? There are also screeners that 
you know, take place as well in, in various settings as well. So um, oh, I should stop you there because that's what you're going to be doing for us for the parent school, aren't you? So you'll be doing, yeah. if people can call and do a screening test with you. I mean, it sounds pretty self-explanatory, but do you mind taking me through what that actually involves? Yeah. So a screener is obviously, it's a, a quick check, if you like, to see how is your child going? And it's, it's very individualised. So it gives that opportunity for me to ask more questions, understand the background, the medical history, what is going on on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's very specific, obviously, to the child based on their age, um, as I said, considering their case history. And then it gives a snapshot. So it allows me to look at some key indicators um, and then determine, does this child need a more formal assessment or are they going okay? Are there a few tips and strategies that I could offer um, that the parents, carers and you know, in educators could implement quite easily and something that we keep an eye on? Um, I think the screeners, like they're super valuable. And, and when there are things like uh, strategies that are offered, together with that, there's a period of time that's also suggested. Because often as parents, we're kind of like, well, how long do I do this for? And so that timeline is, is super valuable. So it might be, okay, for the next three months, focus on this. And so it, it guides more specifically, tailored to what your child is, is currently experiencing. Um, so that's what a screener does. And, and it really indicates is that full assessment needed, which is a more comprehensive, thorough assessment that really goes into all the little sub-skills, I guess, of speech and language development. Oh, it sounds like a really good thing to do if you're unsure. So if if this sounds like something that you're interested in, um, as I mentioned, Sonia is one of our experts on the Parent School and there'll be links in the notes of this podcast episode and also on this Facebook Live. So if you'd like to book a session with Sonia, you can. But in the meantime, let's get to some questions we have for today's show. Uh, Louise from our Helpline Facebook group says, is it true that children growing up with parents speaking several languages learn how to speak late? My partner and I speak two to three different languages to our eight-month-old, and I'm wondering if this is going to have an impact. This is a common question, and I have worked extensively with, uh, with families that have English as a second language or multiple languages at home. So... Um, it, it does not mean that a child is going to be delayed in, in their language development per se. So simply put, um, one of the key things when you are uh, raising a child with another language is just being clear on what is our family goal. So um, if it is to raise a child with say two or three languages, for example, it's usually helpful to know, okay, well, who's speaking what language and when? So if mum speaks Spanish and dad speaks uh, French, for example, um, making sure that there is a commitment there. Okay, well, I'm going to stick to Spanish. I'm going to stick to French. Children don't get confused by that. They will code an individual with a language. So they'll know that when they go to childcare, okay, well, the teachers speak to me in English, but mum speaks to me in Spanish and dad speaks to me in French. They do that very, very easily. It's more about committing to and being consistent with the languages that are being used. Uh, and it's also about the opportunity for the child to practice a language. They're going to be strong in, no matter what language it is, they're going to be strong in the one that they've had an opportunity to listen to and practice. So that's kind of, you know, again, broadly speaking. Um, but what will happen is that if the home language, whatever that is, is developing strongly, what that means is a child is in a great position to add on another language to that foundation. So it doesn't matter what the language is. Uh, and those milestones that I kind of went through right at the start, 
they, they pretty much apply to any language. So if it is Spanish at home, then you would expect those same kind of milestones in Spanish. Um, and then when the child gets to the community, uh, whether it's school or childcare, they will tend to pick up English, in our case here in Australia, they'll pick up English quite quickly uh, on the basis that their home language has developed strongly. So um, when you say a home language, someone like Louise saying that they speak two to three languages to their eight-month-old, um, would you suggest that it's good to choose one of those three as the dominant language at home? Just depends on the family goal. Yeah. Depends completely on the family goal. And I think it's important to discuss that obviously, and be clear on that. What is our goal? Do we want our child to speak three languages? And that could happen when there's a grandparent that might speak another language. So it's just being clear on what's the goal. And, and here, not to add complexity to it, but for some families, they're happy for a child to understand their home language, but not use it. So, you know, there's different ways about it. So it's just, it's just being clear on um, if we want our child to understand and speak the, our three languages, we've got to be really committed um, to allowing them the opportunity to hear and practice as much as possible those three languages. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. It's just individual family goals. Okay. Our next question comes from Amber. My two and a half year old isn't putting more than two words together yet, even though I know she knows lots of words. Is this normal? And what tips do you have for encouraging more sentences? Yeah, okay. So encouraging more words. So a couple of tips here would be um, what we call extension strategies or expansion. So if you if you know your child is able to say lots of words, but they're not kind of forthcoming in using them. Um, actually, before I get into the strategies, one thing I'd say is try not to put too much pressure on your child, because that usually has them going, uh -uh, I'm going to say less. Um, so taking away the pressure, being quite relaxed and quite natural about it. The other thing to avoid would be saying, say this, like, okay, oh, do you want milk? Say, I want milk. Say it, say, I want milk. So you want to not, not kind of go that path, but more do the modeling. So if they say milk, uh, you want to reflect it back, milk, or you want milk. Here we go milk please and you give it to them so what you're doing is you're reflecting back three or four times in a conversational way how they can actually use the word milk beyond one single word um, so modeling is one thing and expansion is is pretty much what I've done so if a, if you're walking down the street and a child sees a car and they say car then you expand you say big car um, if they're up to the point where they can also they can say two words. So they say, oh, big car, you can add one more word to it. Oh, big green car, it is a big green car. And you just move on. So it's very natural, it's very conversational. Um, and modeling and expansion is super, super effective in nurturing um, that extended sentence production, I guess. It's so funny um, when you say that, it just makes me think of um, my family, uh, very verbose, my immediate family, that is my husband, myself, and my children. But I remember when my son was small, so he's six now, but when he was little, I just used to think, oh, you poor little thing. Like we all talk so much. You're never going to talk at all because you can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> but no, now everyone talks as much as each other. So it's quite interesting that you, you can get worried when they're small, if they're not you know, speaking in full sentences or, you know, and also his sister was speaking in fuller sentences before he was, but he caught up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, 
and I and I think that's a great example, Siobhan. There's a lot of model, you know, modeling of language that was going on there. Um, and obviously, and for some siblings, particularly the younger ones, like they got to fight to get a word in so they can get quite assertive with their communication. Ah, yes. Yes, that's my husband's excuse still to this day why he interrupts. He says he grew up with a family of talkers, so you always had to shout to be heard. Um, I've got it. Do you mind if we move on to another question? Go for it. It seems to be coming in thick and fast. Sarah from Facebook Live says, my son is three years old. He can't say G and K. He replaces them with D or T. For example, for glitter, he says ditter. And for cat, he'll say tat. Is this normal for, for this age? So he's three. He did have a tongue tie released and I'm wondering if it's reattached and this is why he can't say these sounds. Okay. So in terms of the tongue tie, typically like 99.9% .9 of the time, it does not affect speech clarity at all. So we can kind of pop that one to the side as a causal factor. There is no research suggesting it causes. Um, in terms of the, the going to tutter, that is a process that we call fronting. So the back of the tongue, or it's meant to be, tongue is meant to be positioned at the back and instead it comes to the front. Uh, fronting is quite common in kids up until close to the three and a half mark. So um, if the child, if he's just still not quite there, um, there's still a little bit of time to what, what I mentioned before, to model as much as possible. So for that child, they'd be saying, oh, tar, when they're looking at the car on the road. Um, so you'd be saying car, big car, wow, car. So the idea is reflect it back three or four times conversationally. Um, and that's really the most effective thing to do, but give it up until three and a half. So that's quite a, um, a typical process that happens in the little ones while their system, sound system is still developing. And a lot can change in six months, can't it? Like you forget totally. how much they can grow and, you know, develop. This question comes from Christine on our Facebook Live. My daughter is turning two this Monday and still can't talk in phrases. She can only say a few words. Yes, no, yummy, moon, let's go. <laughs> I really <laughs> like that collection of words. All day she spends with her dad who's working from home since I have to work. Could this hugely affect her speech development that she doesn't have someone to talk to all day? Yeah, and I think what's highlighted there is opportunity to practice. So it's very similar to what we were saying with, you know, that bilingual or multilingual situation. Um, like anything, to, to expand our skills in language, we need to practice it. So human interaction and opportunities are really important. Um, and of course, you know, everyone has a different dynamic going on you know, each day. So um, certainly having some, some play time is fantastic. Um, in terms of, you know, slowing it down, I think it's more about increasing the opportunities and how can we do that? So some playtime each day is fantastic. Having audio books is also a wonderful way to enrich through language. Um, and even having a, a routine each day of, of daily book sharing can be really valuable. Um, and, and when sharing a book, it doesn't have to just be reading to the child, but very much like, where's this and point to that and labeling things um, and having a lot of fun. And children often, they really relish in that one-to-one that -one time um, and attention, I guess, but it's also quite language enriching. So I know for a lot of families, there's there, there can be a real difficulty in trying to fit things in, um, but I guess take the pressure off that and the time that you do have together, just make the most of it, enrich it in, in those ways as, as kind of I've discussed already. Um, because there's some, it's, it's really about the quality of the time spent together as well. So um, 
use language a lot when you are together. Talk about what you're doing. Talk about what she's doing. Um, even, you know, working from home, it might just be commenting on on something that she is doing. Um, so using language in that way is is really quite powerful. So hopefully there's some simple ways to incorporate those opportunities um, and that language enrichment. Because um, I think it sounds like it's just changing that ratio a little bit to get a bit more language enrichment in there. Yeah, and I like that. I mean, we don't have to talk to them all day just for them to have that, to take on um, the words and be immersed in yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's totally. To talk all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our next question comes from Marlena. My four-year-old is a little chatterbox and has what I think is the cutest lisp, which can make it a bit challenging to understand her at times. My husband is concerned that she's not growing out of her lisp and that she's going to get teased when she starts school. Should we be doing something proactive at this stage? She is still so young and I don't want to step in if the lisp is going to go away on its own. Okay, so a lisp, just to explain what that is for anyone who's not sure, basically the S and Z sounds are substituted with the tongue coming through the teeth. So instead of saying sun, someone with a lisp would say fun. So it's that kind of substitution. So a lisp is um, considered quite typical until the age of about four to four and a half. And then, so I'm not sure where um, her child is up to in terms of where you know exactly where on the four-year-old spectrum uh, she is but certainly beyond four and a half then it is something that you know where we I guess advise yes it's something that we would work on um, when they're younger than four it's typically something we'd say let's wait and see so if it was um, an area they did want to get formal support it's certainly viable um, from, you know, as I said, between four, four and a half, but certainly beyond then. Um, and in the interim, lots of modelling is useful, as, as we've already described, that is super effective. And I've got to say, I, I, I think my daughter had a slight lisp and yes, it is so adorable. <laughs> and she grew out of it. She grew out of it. So like I said, my family has no problems in the speaking department. Um, we have a question from Beth Ann. She says, I think my two-year-old speech isn't developing as quickly as it could because my five-year-old speaks for him all the time. How can I gently get her to stop so my toddler has a chance to develop his language skills. So you can relate to this. Oh, I can. I can. I just kept saying, actually, I say it to every member of my family, including my husband, to not interrupt someone when they're speaking. You know, and it's, I mean, it's good practice for language, but it's a good practice for just general manners. Yeah, know, that's, that's what we call it's what we call pragmatics, Siobhan, which is a social language uh, communication. But I think what you touch on there is is really important. And what you're saying when you're, well, you're saying, you know, not to interrupt is let's take turns. So um, I feel like that is what's really helpful is having a focus on what you want to see more of. So if it is that you'd like um, you know, your five-year-old daughter to take more turns and to listen, then you want to focus on, on that a little bit more. And, and it can be done in a way that can be quite fun. And often I find the older siblings like having a, 
a special job or a role <laughs> you probably yes. found the same you oh, can yeah. help mum do some listening um and let's listen really carefully to I'll just call him Johnny the two-year-old for now um but you know help mum to to do some careful listening to Johnny um so I think incorporating a special role is really lovely for older siblings they usually take that on board as having you know just feeling special themselves um and just praising for taking turns so focusing more on okay well let's make sure so listening acknowledging saying thank you so much that's fantastic let's give Johnny a turn um, so it's kind of coming from it that way and also to indicate to Johnny physically that you're wanting a response now this is physically like obviously not when you're driving but make sure that you might crouch down to his level face to face with him um, so that I guess in your nonverbal language you're kind of communicating I'm expecting you to answer this yeah, um, and it's also non-verbally communicating to the older sibling too. So there's a few little things like that, but I think just switching it around to be quite positive um, and a focus on turn taking and praising that can work really well, uh, whether that's conversationally and, and also in a, in a book sharing, it can also be a nice way to teach turn taking. Go, okay, my turn, okay, it's Johnny's turn now. So it's just, depending on the five-year-old, that could also be a nice way to introduce that concept of turn taking and making them feel successful at it so there have are a few ever, tips I've got have you ever heard of um I've seen it in a number of things like the talking stick how do you feel about those things <laughs> you know you've got a special wand and only the person holding the wand can talk and then you pass it on like does that, does that work or is it a bit too aggressive it, you know what it's it depends on the child and and it depends on the five-year-old or the older sibling because as parents we know best what they're going to respond to and what level of explicit instruction they need um, because the talking stick or the talking ball and sometimes we use it in therapy because we are working on social communication so it's very like concrete to help teach so I guess it comes down to if you feel that the older sibling needs that concrete uh, kind of instruction if that's going to help them go for it but make it fun so you mentioned kind of a concern about being aggressive just make it fun make it a game so you're practicing the concept when it's not needed it, you're doing it in a game format so it's fun and it's interactive and then they understand how it works and then you're kind of then transferring that skill to the day-to-day -day stuff okay we've got a question from Joyce on Facebook live she said what would your advice be for young primary aged children who constantly get frustrated because they can't articulate articulate their thoughts into words um okay so if they're having trouble articulate okay my mind's got lots of questions about the question but I'll try to keep mm. this really simple um and what I mean by that is I wonder what is happening for the child that they can't articulate um their thoughts into words um one thing is that is important is to um, generally just be patient and not finish off what the child is wanting to say. And that's really important. Um, so if it is in the home environment where it's you know, quite relaxed and there's no pressure to speak, then, um, then really, I guess, really just use that patience and, and reassure them, it's okay, take your time um, and, and just give them that reassurance to start with. If it's something that they need more practice with then some kids need a little bit of a what we call a scaffold so helping them to organize their thoughts um, and it could be as simple as you know what happened first what happened next like 
and what happened at the end and how do we so that kind of helping them sequence their thoughts um, so for kids that might need a little bit more practice with that that can happen in a simple like a recounting fashion so it could be um, you know we're always taking photos of what we've done in the day and that kind of thing it could simply be conversationally saying what did we do this morning or if you went to the zoo or whatever tell tell me about or talk, let's talk about the zoo and then help them to structure that we did this first, next, last, etc. So it's kind of just scaffolding it for them. So if it's more about them organising their thoughts, the scaffold works quite well. Taking away the pressure and giving them reassurance um, works quite well. For some, a cue like, um, you know, take a, a deep breath in, you know, Often parents say this, think about what you want to say. Like sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm putting it out there because that's, that's often a natural tendency. Um, but I feel like uh, really just coming down to, again, what clicks for that individual child and having them practice that so they feel more confident. Because if they're in the mindset or if they've kind of gone, I, you know, I just can't get my words out. If they've made that decision, then we've actually got to flip that mindset to go, actually, you can, and then, and then have them feel the success in doing that time and time again so that they've got that confidence to do it. Because often at that age, they're a bit aware of their difficulties. So it, it's a bit of a multi-layered one, but hopefully that helps as a start. I've got to say it, that sounds exactly like my son, because even though I said, you know, he's, he's definitely caught up and can talk as well as anyone, he has this habit of going... And he drives his dad nuts. He'll go, Dad, so, and then he just, he just can't find, it takes him so long to get a sentence out. But if everyone's in a rush, you know, and my husband's like, just, just get it out, just say it. And you can just see he's about to explode. But in, in my son's head, and I, I wonder um, if you found in your practice, like we do know that in, um, in the genders that, boys development is a little bit behind girls development and like I said my daughter was more articulate and spoke in fuller sentences before my son and I look at him now and I think oh you're just a dreamer and I wonder if that is partly to do with his gender that he's just taking his own sweet time to a get a sentence out and b just be ready to speak as articulately as everyone else like do you find that in your practice that sometimes boys are a little bit and they're just taking their time to get there Oh, look, you've, there's a couple of things here. Boys generally will have, um, statistically, they, they're more frequent in the clinic because they seem to experience more difficulties with their communication development. In terms of taking their time, that's really individual, Siobhan. Like I find that um, sometimes, and I've come across, and I call them, you know, uh, people or even boys with busy brains, but girls can have busy brains too, um, which I relate to. But it's often that, that, busyness in their brain is they need that fill-in time to just collect their thoughts before they say it. So it is very individual, but I have seen it multiple times. Um, but I find that, yeah, that, that giving them the time is really important. And I also find, and I don't know if it's the case for your son, but sometimes in families where they're competing for a turn, they wanna, they wanna tag their turn first, get the turn, and then work it out, yes. um, you know. So there's they finally a, got the moment, and then and that's also it. the pressure of that moment is like, oh damn, I'm here now, and now I've got to talk. That's it. And it's kind of like the next person talks. That's it. It's kind of like the classroom, or if we're doing group therapy or something, and it's like you ask a question, and everyone's like me, 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 but they actually haven't thought of the answer. They just want to 
have the turn. So <laughs> it can be a combination of that as well. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I just saw the time. We've actually run out of time. Sonia, that's, you just get so interested in what's going on. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Sonia, and thank you for everyone for your questions. Um, if you didn't get time to have a chat with Sonia, um, like I mentioned earlier, Sonia's doing screening calls. So Sonia explained that before. It's just a sort of a check-in, and um, it's best to do that with a one-on-one -on -one with Sonia. So if you're interested in that, if you want to assess where your child is at in their speech development, check the links in the notes of this episode or below this Facebook Live and you can book a one-on-one -on -one with Sonia. If you have a question for our experts, you can email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au, join our weekly live helpline or leave a question in our Facebook helpline group. Next week, we're looking at how to manage anger with parenting coach Karina Lane. And that's the anger we feel as an adult, not toddler tantrums. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you then. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.